You're listening to Cancer Covered. I came in for all my visits. I didn't do anything virtual, but I kept thinking it could be worse. Be grateful for just the situation you're in. Be grateful that you can come in and talk to the doctors when you have your treatments. Be grateful you can call at any time. That was one thing that they kept telling me. If you have any questions, call. It was that feeling of comfort knowing that there was always somebody there for me. And I thought that was probably the best thing that got me through this whole COVID with the cancer situation. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. And I'm Kyla King. And we're your hosts. According to one definition, life is the process of continuous growth and evolution. But life accomplishes this by sometimes cruel means. We grow and change when we're forced to by difficulty, and we become resilient through trials and tests. Today, we talk to Chris, who faced something no one ever wants to cancer. And right on the heels of her diagnosis, she was faced with another unforeseeable challenge beyond anything she ever imagined. The ways those experiences shaped her and how she thinks about them now will amaze you. Also joining us is her oncologist, Dr. Brian Burnett. Chris, within a month of starting your cancer treatment, the whole world shut down with the pandemic. What was that like during that time? It was really strange because I was going through cancer and I couldn't really adapt to what was happening with cancer. My brain didn't accept it. So I was kind of dealing with that. And then being shut down in your own home, basically, uh, the only family I really had was my family who didn't come over too much because everybody was afraid of giving me something. And then my family here, which I was always anxious to come and see because they were the only people I got to relate to on a regular basis. So it was kind of lonely and hard to focus on anything because you kept thinking of everything in your brain, what was going through as far as the cancer. But on the other hand, I felt I was getting going to have good treatment. I felt very confident with Dr. Burnett and what he explained to me. I was confident with the nurses because they were so helpful and they made me feel at home. They talked to me as a person, just as Dr. Burnett and Dr. Ryan and some of the other doctors I had. Even the people at the front desk would call me by my name right away when I came in. And it just made me feel so good. So actually being cooped up at home wasn't too bad because I always look forward to coming here and everybody being so good to me. Brian, what was it like for you when the pandemic hit? Well, when it hit, essentially right when things shut down, I was on my way back from spring break with my family in airports where there was nothing to eat and everything was locked down. We didn't know if we'd be able to actually fly home or if we'd be renting a car. And then when I went back to work the next week, everything was dramatically different than when I left for my vacation. But we were here and it was scary. Didn't know what was going on. We were starting to see patients get sick pretty regular. We didn't have the full complement of staff as we typically did, but Cancer care didn't stop. 
patients that we were treating for cancer at the time, they still needed their treatment. Their worry was still more about the cancer than the pandemic and COVID. And just how serious was COVID for people with cancer? Well, our understanding of that has changed a lot. There was patients during that first year of of the pandemic in 2020 that needed to be in the hospital getting high doses of chemotherapy for things like leukemia or lymphoma right when they got COVID and we didn't have treatments for it. But their leukemia or lymphoma was going to take their life within days or weeks without treatment. So despite having active COVID-19 pneumonia and being in a COVID unit and kind of cordoned off from everywhere else in the hospital with only certain doctors able to go in and see them, we were still giving them chemo and trying to cure their their cancers. And some did well, some did not so well. Whether that was a COVID or, or other things, a number of our patients that were diagnosed with COVID early in the pandemic that had a very, very, very serious cancer diagnosis that passed away, unfortunately. Now, that was probably contributed to by both, but it was scary. And we didn't know what we were going to walk into when we came to work. We didn't know what we were going to bring home with us to our families when we went home. And then when we get home, our families would be there by themselves all day long. We'd be fairly stressed, exhausted. They'd just be super excited to see us because that was the one exciting thing that happened that day. So there was a lot of strain that went on, but it was also rewarding most times too, because I, I knew that I was doing a job that not everybody could do and that not everybody had a privilege for engaging and making an impact in people's lives like we seem to have done for Chris. So did Chris have a combo of visits? Was she seen primarily in clinic or was she also seen virtually? I came in for all my visits. I didn't do anything virtual. I just felt very fortunate that I didn't have anything more serious than what I had. I mean, there were people in the hospital here and people I knew that had cancer that were suffering a lot. Not that I I had side effects and everything, but I kept thinking it could be worse. Be grateful for just the situation you're in. Be grateful that you can come in and talk to the doctors when you have your treatments. Be grateful you can call at any time. That was one thing that they kept telling me whether it's Dr. Burnett or the nurse practitioners or the nurses, if you have any questions, call. Don't be afraid to call. If you have any concerns, don't be afraid. So it was that feeling of comfort knowing that even though I was going through this and the side effects, I had the comfort of knowing that I could call. There was always somebody there for me. And I thought that was probably the best thing that got me through this whole COVID with the cancer situation. Learning to find meaning and fill empty time, whether in the treatment area during long infusions or at home in quarantine, was one challenge she was able to meet. But the pandemic robbed her of something important, the in-person support of friends and family that sustains so many of our patients through treatment. I asked how she coped without that crucial ingredient. And you're right, like you said, initially, family members during that time wanted, I'm sure, to be with you. But at the same time, there was a fear of, we don't want you to become more sick if you get COVID. So did you have anything? I know you said coming in was kind of a highlight to see people, but what else did you do during the pandemic to pass time? Not really too much because I I stayed in the house. I was afraid of 
the pandemic, obviously, and I wanted to have no complications that would have interfere with my cancer treatments. So while I was home, obviously, I did some texting with my daughters and one of my daughters would bring me my groceries and we'd stay far apart because I was afraid of getting anything. But to pass the time, I do quilting. So I made a lot of quilts. I made masks when it first started. So I made about 450 masks. I did puzzles and I did anything to keep busy. A lot of busy work, embroidery, just busy work to keep me busy because I had to keep myself busy to keep myself stopped from thinking of the cancer and the treatments, the side effects and I was afraid I was going to get too lonely if I didn't keep busy because when I made a lot of quilts, I made them for the Quilts of Valor. So these were for veterans. So I had a purpose in making the quilts I made. I made some memory quilts and just some quilts in general. Like I said, the the masks that I made to help people out because people were looking for masks at the very beginning. So I was making them for my friends and family and uh, different people. And I just found some rewards in that for myself to help pass the time. Now, if I recall, we had met for the first time early in 2020. Actually, it was December, I believe, of 2019. I stand corrected. (laughs) But then, if I recall, when we met that first time, you had two or three family members with you. That is correct. And everybody was there to support you. I had a lot of support. And we started treatment in our clinic a month or two thereafter. My assumption is, were it not for the pandemic, one or two or three of those family members would have been coming with you every single time you came here. Very probably. But in March of 2020, all of a sudden there was no visitors at all. And people that were embarking upon their cancer journey that they never wanted to take then had to come here and be all by themselves. It's a sad time for anyone who has cancer. I think we did our best during that time to use technology, whether it be the the speakerphone or iPads, to to have family members in those meetings and those conversations with us. But do do you recall that? (laughs) I I had a little tape recorder at first that I handheld, and I (laughs) had every as they were talking, I told them I was recording, and we recorded that when nobody could be with me, so. I knew I wasn't going to remember everything that when what was being discussed. So I would take that home. Then after that, I just started making notes there. And then I would call two of my daughters and I would tell them everything that went on that I remembered in case I would forget. And then we would pass it along to others. But that was the only way we really communicated to keep it simple without going through the hassle of everybody wondering what was going on all the time. So it's almost like Three years ago, you realized then that you would be here today and you started practicing recording <laughs> you guys' conversation. <laughs> I didn't say much on the other ones. <laughs> Being alone can be a challenge because that's when fear and anxiety most often come for a visit. So having a lot of time on your hands can make an already fearful experience even worse. I asked Chris how she kept worry at bay during this time. You had said before about how important it was to, you know, keep your mind busy with other things because you didn't want to think about the cancer or COVID. Pandemic or not, it's probably important that we do that anyways, just with the cancer diagnosis that I'm sure it can become all-consuming thinking about it. So how important is that to set some of those mental parameters around 
I'm going to think about it this much. And then now I'm not. What did you do with that? Or how did you manage that? I have a very strong faith. So I spent a lot of time in prayer in between keeping my mind busy on some of the other things that I do. I just found that was very comforting to use my faith and keep busy. I'm one person who's always got to stay busy all the time. My hands, my eyes, something has got to be working and doing something. I can't even watch TV without doing something besides watching TV. And it is so important to to be able to balance the cancer. Yes, it's there. Yes, you're having these treatments and side effects. But yet you have to just take it in the moment, deal with it, and then go on with your life the best you can. And that's easier said than done sometimes. It was kind of low when I didn't see anybody for a while or talk to anybody or couldn't come here or whatever. But the more I did it, the more it became a routine for me. And I think that helps. I think routines help a lot. Virtual connections, whether virtual clinic visits, FaceTiming with friends and family, or playing games remotely with people a world away sustained a great many people during the pandemic. But Chris found that sometimes face-to-face made all the difference. And she sometimes took extra steps to get what she needed. And that's when her healthcare team really came through. I didn't realize at the time, and we were questioning why is this happening in terms of all of a sudden, a few months into the pandemic, we had all these new capabilities to do virtual visits. And in some areas of the country, some of those took off and people just closed their clinics and did all virtual visits. But when we made that available, we didn't really have that high of a volume or that many people taking that opportunity because there was good people like Chris that that was the only social interaction they had. And whether it was a 100% necessary visit to come in and chat with somebody about the medical thing that was going on, could that have been taken care of by a virtual visit or a telephone call? Well, yes, but it was necessary for the human connection to help people feel alive, get them through those tough days, I think. That was very important to me, to be able to come in and talk to somebody. I could have done it, you know, if we would have had it set up on my computer, we could have done it, but I needed that human contact. That is so important throughout your life, whether you have cancer or whatever you have, you have to have that human contact. You have to know somebody cares. You can see them on a screen, but you still need that you know, interaction, I think. I think that was that was critical for me. I assume it's critical for others. As I'm just kind of now processing that, I'm almost getting a bit emotional myself because I think it was important for me, more so than I probably realized at the time, that I was able to do what I love and be able to go and do it every day and find that I was making an impact. If I would have been sitting at home by myself, I, I don't know that... Uh, <laughs> I would not have you know, completely lost him. So I think being able to provide care was an outlet for me and really my only social interaction outside of my very immediate family as well. So thanks for being there to support us. I found it just coming in and talking to, no matter who I was talking to, whether it was you or another doctor or a nurse practitioner or a nurse, whatever, I felt so grateful that they we're able to come in and still care for me and for others who have cancer. Because what would we have done for that period of time if we wouldn't have had people here to care for us? They're taking a chance by coming here and hopefully not catching anything. But, you know, even when I had COVID and I was here, the nurses put on their protection equipment and whatever. But it was still a comfort to me to know that they were there personally, that they 
felt obligated to come to, into work and care for the patients, which of which I was very grateful that they were there for me to help me through anything that I needed through my treatments or whatever it was. So yeah, human contact and the gratefulness of the medical team, my care team that were just there for me all the time. You know, we would talk a little bit, but there was not much to say because nobody was doing anything because everybody was confined to their homes and to their families and whatever. But it was still nice to know that comforting for me that they would be here to take care of me and the others that needed the the health care. It's nice to see your face today for the first time <laughs> in over three years. We just were able to remove our masks at this facility this this week or last week. Yeah. So this is one of the first times I've seen your face for over three years now. One thing about coming in is you couldn't see anybody's smile or facial expressions. That I missed, but it was still, like I said, the human contact that was a big thing. That's one thing I missed, not only here, but everywhere. You couldn't see people smiling at you. They'd say, hi, were they smiling or not smiling? Or you want to smile back? Because you know that they need that smile back. What I found within several weeks of the pandemic and wearing masks was that there are a ton of people that supplement their hearing with lip reading that had no idea. And people that didn't seem to have a hearing deficit that I'd been caring for for years that never had a problem hearing me. When I put a mask on, they couldn't hear a word that I was saying. And it's really amazing, kind of, even though they don't realize they're doing it, but there's so many older people out there, especially that really supplement their hearing by lip reading. And if you take that away, it can be exceedingly difficult to communicate with them. I've, I found myself literally yelling during some patient interactions that I had no idea they had a hearing deficit before the pandemic. It's interesting. You think, well, facial expressions, that's nonverbal expression. Actually, it's both verbal and nonverbal expression for those people that are supplementing their hearing. So we're losing not only that emotional connection, but also the the actual words that are coming out because people can't see through that mask. A little later on, people there's a development of a, a mask that actually had a clear plastic in the center of it um, that was starting to be present in some of our clinics, but would fog up and he couldn't really see through it very well anyway. So it was a nice idea, but I'm not sure that really helped too much. But Hopefully what's going to help moving forward coming out of the pandemic and connecting with people better again, it's again, seeing their faces, getting the nonverbals as well as for those people that need it, the verbal that you can see in somebody's face when they're talking to you, the lip reading. Here's something that may surprise you. A great many cancer patients participate in clinical trials during their treatment because it's a way to pay it forward to other people who may face similar challenges in the future. And Chris found her clinical trial experience deeply meaningful. Just listen. Chris, how far into treatment were you before the opportunity to be on a clinical trial was talked about? One of my first meetings with Dr. Burnett, he mentioned about the trials. So I was already into a few treatments, and he told me to think about it. And then I met Carol from research, and I said I would definitely do that. If I can help anybody else with what I'm going through, and if I learn something from somebody else, all the better. So you had no hesitation at all? For a little bit, probably, you know, <laughs> a few minutes. So I'm thinking, should I or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? And then 
yes, I did. And then I went, I talked to my daughters and they said, it's up to you. So I said, yes, I will. So if I recall, either you or one of your daughters mentioned something during that visit that you know, even if this doesn't help you out, if it helps somebody in the future with cancer, that may be enough for you to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're right. I think it was also interesting when we started having that discussion, I think you were getting treatments at the time, perhaps with some radiation. Yes. And we're talking about medical treatment after the radiation. Yes. So we actually had some time. We didn't have to talk about it in detail and say yes or no today. We could bring it up and we could have ongoing conversations with you about it, both myself and other providers, as well as research staff to get you to understand what clinical research means and what this clinical trial involved, such that we were then able to offer that opportunity and you agreed to participate and start on treatment maybe four to six weeks or so after we talked about it the first time, give or take. Yeah, somewhere around there, yes. Yeah, I'm always for trying to help others where I can, but I guess I just was nervous about the research part because I didn't have a good understanding and until... We talked about it, and I uh, talked about it with research a little bit and found out what was all involved. Then I definitely was on board. It was just too many new things being thrown at me at one time with the cancer and, and my brain trying to understand what was going on with that and with the treatments and the research. But once I got my head together and straightened out, it was definitely something I wanted to do. Dr. Burnett, how common do you see the research side of things end up being part of the standard of care? Every day, every single day. In some of our clinics, every patient that is seen by every provider during every clinic day um, gets screened for whether or not they'd be eligible for a clinical trial. Patients that we see, like Chris here, that we know are potentially eligible for a trial, will start the conversations early. So it's something that we talk about each and every day. And how new was this clinical trial therapy? Depends what you mean by your definition of new. I believe the clinical, this specific clinical trial had opened and begun enrolling patients within six or 12 months of Chris being diagnosed. I think probably within six. But the drugs that were being studied on this clinical trial were not brand new. They were essentially four different drugs that had been studied and FDA approved for other indications five to 10 years prior to the opening of this clinical trial where there was a question on, well, how can we improve things and answer some questions about the sequencing of therapy and and where the best drug fits at the best time in somebody's treatment course. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree. 
Sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you, wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. Chris, you had radiation, you had research being on a clinical trial, you had your standard care for medical oncology treatment. So that's a lot of different handoffs and collaboration between a lot of different areas. How did that all stitch together for you to make your whole picture of care? I think because I was new at this whole cancer thing, I just kind of, whatever they told me is what I needed to do. That's what I wanted to do. I was going to do everything in my power to follow the care that I was told I needed to have. And like I said, whatever I went through could help somebody. I kept that in the back of my mind. So I guess all these different things, another thing to keep my mind busy thinking about, well, I have to do this and I have to go through this and I have to find transportation for this. And I took a lot of notes. I kept a lot of paperwork to make sure I knew where I had to be. And also during that time, I was getting physical therapy for my legs. So that was another thing thrown in there. So there were a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to deal with. But I, I just think that Everybody was so good about explaining things to me, telling me what was going to happen, how it was going to work. Just all that knowledge kind of just made it flow for me. Chris's trial employed a novel treatment approach, harnessing a patient's own immune system to fight the cancer. I wanted to know more about that and asked Dr. Burnett to explain. Dr. Burnett. Part of why Chris is here is because she was on immunotherapy. Can you talk to me a little bit more about what that is? I sure can. First of all, some background for cancer to develop. In some ways, it needs to develop a way in which it can hide or evade detection from the immune system. It essentially makes itself a mask. Now, a bunch of smart people, one of which won the Nobel Prize for his work on this, were able to identify that mask and develop an antibody to remove it. And in doing so, it allows you, your own immune system to recognize a cancer and fight it, which is exciting. People have been dreaming of doing this for decades, and this has really come into clinical practice more and more so the last 10 years. And what's fascinating about these drugs is depending on the cancer and the situation for a, for a cancer, the response rates to these drugs, the chance of having less cancer after a few months rather than more cancer are highly, highly variable from like 10 to 90%. What's not variable, however, from cancer to cancer is that when people do respond to immunotherapy, about half the time, give or take, that response is exceedingly durable. And the benefit instead of in the past for cancer we're trying to control in the past being measured in months to now actually being measured in years. So I like to say in the past when we're using things like chemotherapy or some degree targeted therapies for kidney cancer, similar cancers. We'd, we'd hit a few singles and a double occasionally. These days with immunotherapy, if we do get a hit, or again, that chance of getting a hit is highly variable depending on the cancer, but about 50% of the time, that's going to end up being a triple or even a home run. And I think we're seeing that with Chris. She's doing great. It's been three and a half years now. 
not even needing to be on any treatment and just getting to come here and socialize with us. Now, there are some downsides to immunotherapy as well. When we manipulate the immune system in this fashion, there is some chance that we will confuse the immune system. But when we confuse the immune system, a number of different things can happen. In fact, just about anything that we can think of can happen in the body. That all sounds quite scary. And when they do happen, they're most often highly, highly treatable, these side effects. So these are medications that we monitor very closely, especially early in somebody's course. It's also interesting and what we're seeming to find over the past few years is those patients that do have a mild or moderate side effect from immunotherapy, especially if we can manage it relatively well with simple maneuvers, we're starting to see more and more that those patients that have an immunotherapy-related side effect, that's an indication that we've activated the immune system against the cancer as well. And those are the people that are more likely to, to respond to immunotherapy as well as be more likely to have a very durable benefit of the immunotherapy. So it's turned oncology really into field of immunology that's encouraged us and insisted upon us to learn and develop better ways to, to treat cancer as well as to treat the complications of the, the immunotherapy we give. But this is a way in which we're able to hit home runs these days versus singles and doubles just a few short years ago. Chris's unique cancer journey was remarkable enough, but I was curious about how she ended up after treatment and how her life was now. So we explored that next. Chris, so how has your quality of life changed? You know, you're nearly four years out from your cancer diagnosis. How has it changed at all? As far as the cancer, I'd say my life is pretty much back to normal. I do have, you know, the form of the cancer was in my leg, so I have, I have to walk with a cane. But as far as my life and being able to go out and do things, I don't do as much as I used to, but I would say I feel comfortable with my life as it is. I'm not young anymore. If I was younger, I'd probably have an issue with some of that. But now that I'm older and kind of laid back, a lot of those things work into the way I live my life. Could I add something? I recall when we first met, your family pushed you in here in a wheelchair. Today, when we met, we met you at the elevator. There wasn't anybody that dropped you off at the curb. You drove yourself and walked in by yourself and then walked through the hospital to this recording area. I, well, when I first came, I had the brace on my leg. With that, I needed help to get in and out. From there, I graduated to a walker and now to a cane. Even when I was Once I could get out of the wheelchair, probably about four months after my first visit with Dr. Burnett, and I had my radiation, after that, I could get around by myself. I had to learn to drive the car again. I never realized that being four months and not driving a car was not going to be as simple as getting in and driving. That caught me way off guard. But anyways, I learned to get in and out with my walker and my work with my cane. I didn't really want to be a burden to anybody because I figured down the line, if if I get worse with whatever, cancer or some other disease or something, then my family will have to spend more time with me. But this way, as long as I can be independent, it is 
so refreshing to know that I can come and go as I want and do what I want. I have to be careful and people watch for me and everything. And I appreciate all that. But the independence is really important if you can get back to that. So how frequently do you see each other now for appointments? Every three months I come in for a bone scan and a CT scan. And then I have an appointment with either Dr. Burnett or nurse practitioner or somebody to go over the results. I think you and I probably see each other once every six to 12 months or so at this point. Yeah, I would say. But there was one more surprise waiting for Chris. Being asked to sit in front of a microphone and talk about her experience to a wider audience. By now, you probably won't be surprised at how she handled it with grace and gratitude. She made the perhaps poor decision the last time we met to tell us how much she enjoyed these podcasts, which subsequently led to a call very shortly thereafter to invite her to come on in. Well, that call was caught me way off guard, let me tell you. (laughs) I knew what was coming as soon as I walked out of that door. (laughs) I I called Kyla right away and said, I know who needs to be on an episode. I know. When I called you, you were a little unsure. I was like, oh, I might be forcing her to do something she doesn't want to do. (laughs) I just didn't expect it. I I just, I didn't know what to say. (laughs) You've got a great story and you've done a great job. I, I think we're winding down now a little bit. Chris, I wanted to ask you, have you found a cancer survivor community that you've connected with through all this? I have a few people that have had cancer of different types. Like I said, Erica would be one of them, especially she did a lot of posting online. So that helped me big time at the start of my cancer. When I was in freighters before I came here, a person that I was a neighbor years ago, but she was younger than me. She was going through cancer and we talked real often. I don't know who was encouraging who more, but it was real comforting to have her. And then there were a few people that I knew throughout the community that either had it or knew somebody that had it or have it now. And just to be able to talk to them back and forth, just to share stories, that was comforting. So now earlier... In this discussion, Chris, you mentioned coming to see our providers, and he also very specifically mentioned one of the research staff that we work with, and research staff, and some of which is funded by taxpayer dollars. There's people that we work with that have spent their career in clinical research interacting with patients and invested in improving the care we're able to provide through clinical research. And you mentioned one person in particular. It sounds like she's had an impact on you. Very much so. From the time she introduced herself and explained some things to me, and then as I would come in for treatment, she would stop in and see me. It was very comforting to know how she cared and that what research was trying, you know, was my information for research was going to be helpful. I just found that, like I said, everybody that was on my care team, whether it's research, the doctors, the nurses, people at the desk, whoever it was, everybody just made me feel so comfortable. And knowing that whatever was going to be done for my care was going to be done to the best of their ability to help me on my cancer, wherever it was going to lead, 
And I just feel very fortunate that I had the cancer and ended up here. It sounds like what you're saying is that there's a number of different members of that care team, many of whom had an impact on your care. Very much so. And you mentioned a couple of names, and I just wanted to call that out because, again, there's people we work with, research staff, Carol, you mentioned, that has been doing this her entire career and will be retiring soon. But just to hear how much of an impact that she made on you, I think, could be very special to for her and the rest of the staff to hear. It was so comforting to come here. You know, the nurses would just treat me as one of their family almost. I mean, they just made me feel so relaxed. I wasn't nervous or excited or, you know, all these things running through my mind. They just put me at ease. So if I had to have cancer, this was the best place to come because everybody was just great. I can't say enough about the care that I got here and all the people that had contact with me. So that perspective of, you know, you had said, I'm blessed to have gotten cancer, so I had the opportunity to come here. That's a powerful statement and something that people may be perplexed by. I guess what I mean by that is I would have never known about the cancer team because I would never been involved with it. I wouldn't have understood. Sure, you read a lot of things on it, but it's not the same as when you're in there. I know people who have cancer and talked about their treatments and whatever, but I just felt, I guess, blessed is the word I used to have it so I could meet the people and see what's going on in the cancer research and everything that goes on with cancer, what's involved with the treatments and how people are treated. This way, if I run into somebody else who's new into the cancer, I can spread that word and hopefully that'll give them comfort that there are people out there that will make them feel comfortable and get them through their cancer. You're probably not going to believe this, but what you may not know is could people like you have as much of an impact on those of us that work at the cancer center than perhaps we've had on you, especially during these trying times the last couple of years? I, I just, I, like I said, I just can't say enough about the care I got here, especially through COVID. I don't know how it would have gotten through with without this particular care team. Ditto. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Mm-hmm.